Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. So we want to welcome all of you here in Fellowship Hall, and we want to welcome those who are online. Uh, Joining us, King of Glory Lutheran, this is Midpoint. Uh, middle of the week, we gather at 10 in the morning, 6.15 here, and then 9 o'clock, a half an hour version on Facebook Live. So welcome. Um, you please just eat, enjoy yourselves. We're not going to use paddles tonight to say I'm going to read because we really have what we're going to do, although there may be some, some extra uh, scriptures listed on the handout, we're really going to dive into three longer passages. So I think we should all just be there anyway to do that. So welcome. Um, As you know, we're in journey with Jesus, moving from death to life. That's what we're thinking about. Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, starts in two weeks. And that's where we're headed. Um, we're, We're thinking and, and investigating and, and pondering those traditions, uh, the practices, the scripture, some of the scriptures, some of the classical prayers that we as a community of faith, and I mean the larger church around the world, have used in a Lenten season. Last week we talked about the, the rhythm of a church year, of a worship calendar and balance. We'll do a quick little bit of a wrap up of that tonight. And then we will move into uh, tonight's lessons on origins, Lent's origins and and its origins, plural, and Lent's practices. Um, I think it, well, first of all, let me ask, would, would someone be willing to be our microphone runner? (laughs) Do we have someone who would be willing to do that tonight? Oh, Kelly. Okay. Kelly got her hand up first. <laughs> but, but thank you for two volunteers. Well, you can just keep it. I mean, we don't need and, and when it's like that, you just, I can't remember what you hit, but you hit something. <laughs> Maybe you hit mute. Maybe you hit mute. And you, yeah, that's what you hit. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Um, let's begin, though, with a prayer out of the Psalms, and it is a classical Very classic. We use it all the time, usually on Ash Wednesday. It is a psalm of repentance. So if you, I'm going to get out of the way, maybe, and if you would read this and pray with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. Well, I hope you heard in that psalm some of that flow of Lent from death to life our sin, our human condition, moving into a joy in salvation. Come on in, Greg and Mary. Good. Yeah, you can sign up and you can pass that sign-up sheet. No, that's wonderful. Thank you. And and let me just say right now that 
this, and this is important to me. Uh, we talked about it last week that as we think about Lent and the practices, and we're, we're going to get into those uh, repentant practices tonight, and I, I really want us to hear this conversation not as obligation and command, even though Jesus did say, when you fast, not if you fast. I mean, but let's hear this as invitation because it really is all about roots and fruit. There's a, our, um, we have a nephew, Dan Partlow in Connecticut, who has, I don't know if he painted or drew it, but anyway, he one year he did this bit of artwork and he has a whole long poem to go with it, but he made pillows for every one of the grandchildren in the family. And, this, and what we have here is a fruit. It says, be the tree. And the only reason that tree has fruit on it is because it's got roots that go into the soil of the Lord himself and God's word. And that's what we're talking about in Lent, is an opportunity to enter into a new adventure with God. So let's, I hope we, we will hear it that way. Um, today, we will look at Lent's origins, how we got here, and then practices, maybe where we might go in those weeks that are coming up. A quick review, and you know, I should say for online, I'm Claire Partlow. I'm on the education team, and for you too, if we haven't met, I'm on the education team, and we're giving Pastor three weeks off right now, so for Wednesdays, because he's got a lot coming up. So that's why I'm here. Um, so last week, we talked about that rhythm of being called into a cyclical calendar. The Old Testament people were called into one with their holidays, their holy days. Remember, that's where the word comes from. And they were called into it as a rhythm. But the whole point of that cyclical calendar was because it told the story of their relationship with God. And that's the same thing that happens into the, in the Christian church year calendar. We hear the story of God over and over again, year after year, always coming from, like our psalm talked about, our human need and insufficiency to salvation and what he brings us. And so that's, that's what we talked about there. But we also talked last week about making sure that we kept a balance, that we hear, hear this as invitation rather than obligation. If it's obligation, then, there's, then, it, then it sounds like it's something I must do or you must do in order to earn God's favor. That's not what, what Lent is about at all. It is about entering into something new with him. So I thought we would pick up tonight as a quick review, pick up on a little portion of scripture that we didn't look at, but that was on the handout last week. And that's from Colossians 2. And there's Dan's tree. I, and I asked him, because it is copyrighted, I asked him for permission. <laughs> and, and he sent me a good version. But in, in this you can probably see better than on the pillow, because the pillow has all the, the words, the fruit of the Spirit around it. But read with me what Paul is saying here. And now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. 
Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. So I'm just going to stop and ask, what did something jump out for you? Because remember, Kelly's ready to jump up if something jumped out for you. Um, there's something there that, that you see with new eyes today or that you say, why would he say that? Something? I get out of your way? We're told, because I'm not a Greek scholar, but reading, find out that in the Greek, this is very much present participle terminology. Um, and, and here's what it said. It, in the Greek, it would say, having been rooted, not you go do that, put your roots down in, although we get that translation often. And I've always liked that. I always liked the NIV here. but it's having been rooted, very passive. I don't, I didn't do the rooting. God did the rooting. Having been rooted and being built up, again, a passive way of thinking about it, not an active. And, and, and the, the uh, commentator I looked at said, and Paul wants us to hear this as an ongoing process. So what we're talking about here is living the Christian life. And, and the reason I've got the, you know, see Psalm, Psalm 1, let me just, where did I put it? Quickly read from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man or the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the seat of sinners or mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his delight day and night. And those Psalms often talk more about a relationship we have with the word of God than necessarily with God himself. And so that's what we hear here. But listen, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. That's the invitation for us. Having been part of the kingdom of God in relationship with God, allow him to grow things in us like that tree shows. Any, any comments, any, anything you want to say before we move on from this? Say, uh, say, we need the mic just for those folks. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Kelly. It just <laughs> kind of put me in the mind of Ephesians three also, um, which says, um, let's see here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Yeah. Thank you. It's that same having been rooted in that version. Yeah. I appreciate that. So that's who we, Oh, Peter, Kelly, Peter's over here. If you raise your hand, Peter, then Kelly me. Okay. Paul's words there are putting the ownness on each individual. And he says, just as you accepted, you must continue. So what that uh, says to me is, as you took action, 
mm-hmm. and made the decision to accept Christ, you now must also take action to continue to follow him. It's not something you can remain lax in. Yeah. It's not a one-time decision, and, and life is, is all roses after that. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. The, the, the idea, the, the, the commentators I looked at, and I'll admit that I was a Catholic commentator, and so he, he's not going to have a reformed view of, of like, accepting Jesus. He says that this term, it's received in some of our versions, having received Christ Jesus or accepted, is really a passive thing, having received, and that it was like the reception of the rabbinical traditions that were given to you. But still, what you say there makes sense. I love that. A process of discovery. Thank you. Yeah. And there is an onus on us to let roots grow down and then see what blossoms. Thank you. Anybody else? Let's go on and see what he says. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. John. Okay, wait for wait for Kelly. Well, if we compare ourselves to a tree, as as this shows here, a tree has to be watered or it'll wither and die. Right. And we have to keep watering ourselves with the spirit and the word. So true. We have to be available for that spirit and that word, right? That watering. If you if you think in terms of a tree, it doesn't decide to water itself, you know. But it, yeah, it it has roots that grow down into that environment, and so we're being called into an environment with the presence of Jesus. Okay. Yes. Oh, Bob. <laughs> I hope you wanted this workout, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, my. <laughs> no, I, I think it's interesting that the emphasis is you'll grow strong in the truth you were taught. Ah. In other words, this just isn't a belief or a theory or anything like that. This is the truth. And yeah. that's a powerful word in that, in that Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I was skipping over that word. Oh, <laughs> Cynthia. <laughs> yeah. And to add to that truth, okay. Jesus is the truth. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. Jesus is the truth. Thank you. Let's move on to the next set of verses in Colossians, which weren't referenced last week, but I thought it was a good way for us to think about this balance and think about what's coming when we enter into Lent's practices. So maybe read with me. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Again, we hear that passive tense that we've been brought into fullness. But we're to make sure with this idea of truth, and thank you for pointing that out, 
that we are not allowing ourselves to be taken captive. And, and, and the words there throughout Colossians, Paul uses a lot of slavery terminology, and this is one of the moments, to be led off as a captive. Now, on Sunday mornings, we're in, a, in the um, adult studies. We have Professor Philip, I mean, Dr. Philip, the professor of philosophy, and we have Dr. Phil, our pastor theologian, and we're not, we're not dissing Pastor, or Dr. Philip at all here with deceptive philosophy. We have nothing against the philosophy department at William and Mary, but we're talking about being caught up in ideas that would pull us away from Christ. And anything you see that you want to say, that, that hits me. I chose that, that artwork, um, and it's a mosaic, because it's the classical Jesus, the Lord of the universe, over all, in his fullness. He is reigning. Peter? Yeah. Oh, good. Now, once again, his words are putting the ownness on us. See to it. Absolutely. You see to it. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, and I agree with you fully. There is, there is a response that we make to the grace we are given, to the truth we have been brought into, that the, tradi- the tradition we've received, the Lord that we have received, and now there is a response that's, that's demanded of us. Yeah, Peter and Cynthia. It seems, too, that he's uh, speaking to the Pharisees. So if we're to follow Christ, we're not to get hung up into the human traditions. But what is Christ telling us to do versus getting, even though we love the law because the law allows us to see our sin, we shouldn't be so caught up into it that we miss the, the full picture of the grace that's been given to us. You're such a Lutheran, Cynthia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's move on to a few more verses a little farther down in the chapter, and we'll finish up with Colossians here. Let's read it together. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, found in Christ. Yeah, you're saying yeah. <laughs> Anybody comment there? Anything that jumps out at you? Because when you comment, it, it helps all of us to hear something new and different. This gets into the idea of freedom, not, not being judged by others as to whether we observe Lent, let's say, since that's our topic, observe Practices of Lent, because all of them are just a shadow, and I love that. I don't if I, obviously I was not inspired to write this, but if I were trying to write something like this, I don't know if I would have thought of shadow. I'm thinking of little ones, you know, when they discover their shadow and they're outside and they try to step on. Of course, you can never quite get to what you're trying to step on because it's not the reality. 
So as we, as we think tonight about Let's Origins and Let's Practices, let's keep, let's keep this in mind that what is really important here is Jesus, who he is, and his reality, and our response then to an invitation to be part of what he's doing. So Lent's origins, we will go through this quickly. Um, and, it, and it is plural because we've gotten to Lent in what one commentator calls a mathematical puzzle of trying to decide what, what is Lent, how long is Lent. Listen to what a Catholic site says about Lent right now. Okay, um, from Ash Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before the first Sunday of Lent, we, we will, if we include those, get to a number of 40 days. So today, while the season of Lent, Ash Wednesday to Holy Thursday, is technically 44 days, the number of days for penance and fasting before Easter is still 40. 44 days minus six Sundays equals 38 plus Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Right. It gives me a headache. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. We get, we get this. Where, so where did we get this? Well, the first bit of a practice of Lent was really those first Christians whom we know, especially the ones around Jerusalem, we know that they took the Passover because they were Jewish Christians and they Messianic Jews and they would celebrate. We have records that say they, that they observed that they celebrated the Passover by praying all that night for their, their friends and neighbors and family who did not know Jesus. So they, and so they fasted before that Paschal event. Then we know when we start talking about a church year, that the apostles, saints and apostles being buried in different towns, pilgrimages began, religious pilgrimages where people would go. And if you, and if you, um, in, in fact, they would celebrate the Eucharist at the grave site. We've heard those stories about the catacombs. Some of them are maybe a little more, um, you know, expanded, maybe not quite what we thought when we were young, but, but the, the Christians would go to the burial site and celebrate a Eucharist and begin to observe those dates when, of when apostles and other leaders were born. So we had pilgrimages to those sites. As the church began to think in the first couple of centuries about, well, how would we approach Easter that Paschal season and Easter, they well, okay, if we were going to fast, how long should we fast? And of course, Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness said, okay, and we're going to read later that Moses entered a 40-day fast. We find that throughout the, the scriptures. The earliest church, definitely by the 4th century, possibly by the 3rd century, was beginning to say that those who wanted to come into the church and wanted to be baptized should go through a period of scrutiny, looking at themselves, thinking about sin, a time of looking at sin and repenting and prepare for baptism. By that 
third, fourth century time, baptisms throughout much of the Mediterranean area were on Holy Saturday. And we'll talk about that next week. So we won't get into that tonight. But so there began to be a time of repentance and scrutiny is the term they used because others in the community could come forward and say, yay or nay, you know, up or down, on this person who was saying he or she wanted to be a Christian. And so Lent began to be seen as a time of repentance. Now, if you're geeky about things like this, like I am, you want, you want, you want to get yourself a copy of a Diary of a Pilgrimage by Egeria. Egeria was a woman... We do not know, and scholars are in agreement, this is a woman, and this is written either right before 400 or right after 400. We don't know if she was from France or Spain, but, and I don't know enough to say why, but because of the language that she used, the, the, the terminology that she used, they, they, the way it's written, that, that's where they place her. And she either was a wealthy woman who could travel with a retinue of people or something like a nun. I mean, we didn't have convents and nuns at that point, but she was something like that because she writes to her sisters. She writes this diary and sends it back to other women. So listen to what Egeria says. She's gone to Mount Sinai. She's, she's visited St. Catherine's Monastery there. She's, now she's gotten to... Jerusalem. Listen to what she says. When the season of Lent is at hand, capital L, Lent. So by 400, we have a season called Lent in the church. When the season of Lent is at hand, it is observed in the following manner. Now, whereas with us, and so here she means either back in Spain or France, we don't know, whereas back with us, the 40 days preceding Easter observed are observed here, meaning in Jerusalem, because we know that's where she is. Here they observe eight weeks before Easter. And this is how we get into all these crazy numbers. Okay, this is the reason why they observe eight weeks. On Sundays and Saturdays, they do not fast, except the one Saturday, which is the vigil of Easter, Holy Saturday. We'll talk about that next week. When it is necessary to fast, she says, except on that day, there is absolutely no fasting here on Saturdays at any time during the year. No fasting on Saturdays. They would fast. Some people would fast, we believe, the five days, Monday through Friday. We know from the Didache, the teaching of the apostles, not written by the apostles, that's the name given to the document, that's from around 100 A.D., that the Jews were fasting on Tuesday, no, Monday and Thursday, and Christians were fasting on Wednesday and Friday. Okay, Jews wouldn't fast on a Friday going into, have I got that wrong, Pastor, the days? Oh, okay, yeah, because I always get it mixed up in my head. But they wouldn't want to fast on the Friday because that's the Sabbath leading up, you know, the night, the night, the Sabbath. But anyway, except on the, that day, there's no fasting. And so when eight Sundays and seven Saturdays have been deducted from the eight weeks, here we've got this <laughs> mathematical puzzle, for it is necessary, as I've said, to fast on one Saturday, there remain 41 
days, which are spent in fasting. Now, we are going to do the red letter challenge, and I want you to know it says 40 days, okay? So when you, when you begin this, you can trust that if you looked at your calendar and got rid of the Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Monday Thursday, I guarantee you that if you count, and that's what I have to do, <laughs> you'll end up with a certifiable Lent that is 40 days, and that's what we will be observing. So I think it's kind of fun to think about how did we get here. And Nigeria really has given us a wealth of information. And she goes on and on and on about Holy Week and all sorts of stuff. We may, we may hear from her next week. But the origins are probably not even as important as the flow in Lent. And what happens in Lent, Alexander Schmemann, an Orthodox a theologian, says that Lent is a school of repentance, that it's for the deepening of faith, that it is to help us take time to re-evaluate. And it's a wonderful pilgrimage, he says. So again, we have this as an invitation to us to look forward in two weeks and to consider how you, how I, how we as a community, and we know what we as a community are doing, we are going to be doing the Red Letter Challenge, but each of us may want to expand, correct, something. Oh, and let me say, I've got an extra sheet, and we lost them last week, so I didn't have them in the evening. I'll leave it on this table here. Just some suggested resources, pretty cheap ones, some of them absolutely free. Uh, the Dale Meyer Minute online or the Lutheran Hour Ministries Daily Devotion and some books um, books that are for your Kindle or other e-reader that are free, that are Lenten-oriented. So if you're interested, pick one up. But I didn't put them on all the tables. But we are invited into a wonderful pilgrimage. Here are the classic practices that we think of. And I chose that, um, the, the, this grieving scene. I was talking to somebody this morning. Uh, They just lost someone in the family, death of grandma. And, you know, life just isn't right right now. Nothing seems right. You you enter into a time when you lose someone, like like the people around, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that, I'm not sure who that is actually, but around Around the body, all of a sudden, life doesn't seem right. So, you know, somebody's missing. People step back. And that's a little bit what life, what Lent is like. We have on Ash Wednesday the imposition of ashes. Um, many of you are probably familiar with that. What goes through your head or what, what hits you on Ash Wednesday when you receive the sign of the cross? With ashes. Anybody? Oh, okay, over here. And I, help me remember your name. D, thank you, D. I should know. I, and I'm just, for, it just went out of my head. Thank you, D. D, meet Kelly. <laughs> when you have the ashes put on your forehead, yes. it prepares you for your own death. Prepares you for your own death. You want to expand on that? What, what, how, how, what your thinking is there? On my last pastor in Pittsburgh, before I left, I had the ashes 
Mm -hmm. So he prepared me for my death. And I believe it. Okay. Anybody else? I think uh, Cynthia wants to. Yeah. Go ahead. It reminds me that I will die. <gasps> and yeah. Same. I'm but nothing, which is really, I, I can't even describe because I'm sitting here right now and to think yeah. I'm nothing. I'm not going to be anything but ashes. And if it weren't for, I guess, the embalming, yeah, food for worms, food yeah. mm-hmm. for the moles. It, it, I mean, it takes us back to Eden, right? To the Garden of Eden where we know that God took dust and created us. And then on Ash Wednesday, we hear dust you are. To dust you will return. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find it to be a gripping, a gripping moment. Anybody else? Oh, is it? Yeah. It's like a brand of ownership. Ah. Okay, marking us as uh, belonging to yeah. the family of Christ. Uh, I mean, we brand cattle. You know, yeah. So that yeah. Uh, they don't get. There is a mark, mark as in baptism, marked with the sign right. of the cross. So yeah. that, that imposition of ashes could be any sign, but it happens to be the sign of the cross. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Good. Yeah, especially if you, if you go to an Ash Wednesday service early in the day, and then you go to work, back to the neighborhood, to the grocery store, that mark is on you. Yeah. Anybody else want to? Oh. Yes, it's... Uh... <clears throat> Isn't that the beginning of uh, penance and also your own mortality? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Boy, mortality just hits us straight between the eyes, doesn't it? Thanks, Pat. Yeah. So we have, at the beginning of, of Lent, we have the imposition of ashes. We are encouraged during Lent to take extra time for meditation. I mean, our, our red-letter challenge is going to take us in the 40 days through considering our being, who we are, forgiveness, forgiving. We're going to think about serving, giving, and going. So it has a lot to do with who we are and extra time taken to consider those. Almsgiving, often we hear, uh, especially in the last 20 years or so, rather than giving up something for Lent, do something for Lent. Um, the idea of almsgiving, actually the idea of fasting can sometimes be paired with if I didn't have to cook a meal, if we didn't take the grocery money for tonight's meal, we have that money to feed someone else. So, so the idea of almsgiving, charity at that time, prayer, foot washing, we'll talk about next week, Eucharist, silence. I'm talking too much. I just heard myself silence that comes in this season and fasting. We're going to spend a little bit of time on fasting tonight, mostly because we Lutherans don't talk about it a lot. Catholics do, some Reformed groups do, but we, we, Jean came home from the men's breakfast yesterday and said, oh, we were talking about we Lutherans don't talk much about fasting. I said, good. We're talking about fasting tomorrow night. So that's, we are going to look at, at fasting and think about how it might fit into your life or my life, but especially how it fits into a community of faith. 
So we're going to move right. We've got, well, that clock is fast. Good. We've got about 23 or 4 minutes. If you would all turn to Deuteronomy 9, and we're going to actually read from verse 7 or 8, wherever it starts a paragraph in the Bible you have, through 21. So is there someone who would be willing to read all those verses um, in Deuteronomy? The people of Israel have, have spent their 40 years in the wilderness, and Moses is preaching a sermon and reminding them where they came from. And he says, you're about to cross over the Jordan to go into the promised land, but I got to remind you of something. Oh, okay, Cynthia, thank you. Start at 7 or 8 and go to 21. Whatever your Bible has, the the different versions start a paragraph differently. Okay. Okay. Remember this and never forget how you provoked the Lord your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire. On the day of the assembly, at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made a cast idol for themselves. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people. And they are a stiff-necked people indeed. My grandmother used to use that term. I could tell you've heard that term. <laughs> when, you, when you said stiff-necked, you said it with passion. <laughs> Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You have turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord has commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. Then once again I fell, prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. Because of all the sin you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so provoking him to anger. I feared the anger and the wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron, too. Also, I took that sin thing of yours, that sinful thing of yours the calf you had made, and burned it in fire. Then I crushed it and ground it to powder as fine as dust and threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. Any comments? This is the golden calf. Moses has been up on the mountain, and the the people have given up 
And Aaron has allowed them to build, to put together the golden calf. And Moses comes down and they're dancing and singing. You know, Moses was quite patient, too, because I don't know whether I would have fasted 40 days or 40 nights for <laughs> stiff-necked people. You know, you, you make your bed, you lie in it. But he prayed for them. Yeah, So that's that a good says point. something about what we should be doing for people as well, that even though ugh, they can just, ugh, okay, we all need prayer because we all do that to people. Mm-hmm. in one way or another. You know, it's not just them doing it to us. We do it to them, and we oftentimes forget that it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. But Moses was, was quite kind. Well, he had just come from 40 days there with the Lord, yes, and the fasting there. And I, I, think, I think we'll talk about, but fasting like prayer often changes the prayer or the faster maybe even more than the situation. Anybody else Re- react to the story first? Oh, okay, Nigel. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, uh, Moses is giving us an example here of of what he what he did when. There's this terrible situation. I mean, they have sinned very greatly. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, how am I going to handle it? Well, I lay prostrate before the Lord. Forty days, forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water. And, um, I mean, it's not like a legalistic thing. It's not like, hey, everyone in here needs to fast for 40 days. But it's a, it is a spiritual discipline. It's not to be. Like, we should be talking about it, I guess. So yeah. I'm glad we are. Oh, thank you. You know, I have, I have this book plate up here. It, das Goldene Kalb. Okay. I, you can see this at the New York Public Library. And it is the book plate for a collection of poems by Heinrich Heine of, of a couple hundred years ago, I think. I can't remember. It's in here somewhere. But this poem, a modern translation, listen to it. It's about the golden calf. And I just love, and this is the artwork on the book. Double flutes and horns resound as they dance the idol round. Jacob's daughters, madly reeling, whirl around the golden calf. Hear them laugh, kettle drums and laughter. Dresses tucked above their knees, maids of noblest families in the swift Dance blindly wheeling, circle in the wild career round the steer. Kettle drums and laughter, peeling. Aaron, high priest Aaron, Aaron's self, the guardian gray of the faith, at last gives way. Madness, all his senses stealing, prances in his high priest's coat like a kettle drum and laughter feeling. Hit you in the gut, right? I mean, that's 
<laughs> you know, the obviously you know, Victorian kind of look there in the dress. But that's what Moses found when he came down the mountain. Dancing and laughing around the golden calf. On our handout, and, and Nigel, you're the one that took us right there. On, on our handout, I'm going to find it. Oh, in, in Lilac, at the very, I forgot again to put page one, page two. But page one looks like that. Down here, Scott McKnight says, he's a, a, actually a Reformed per- theologian turned Anglican, but he says, fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person, and he means a person in communion with the Lord, to a grievous, sacred moment in life. And Nigel, you took us there. I mean, to say this is what Moses, just within his spirit, in communion with the Lord, knowing the Lord, he gets to this grievous, sacred moment, just like when someone dies in your family. It is a grievous, sacred moment, and you probably don't feel like eating, and that's why we all bring food to that house, and that's why we have a luncheon after a funeral often, because that family has not felt like eating. Everything's wrong in life when that happens, and we can have spiritually grievous and sacred moments too, and that's what Moses discovered. Now, Scott McKnight, in his book on fasting, says a lot of people say fasting is A plus B equals C. And I used to have it in here, and somehow I left it out. But A being, gee, I'd really like this to happen, whether it's someone come to know the Lord, or I want to get a new job, or give me some answers on this. So A is something I want to have happen. B plus B is I'll fast equals C. God will do it. He says, no. No. He puts A with an arrow, B with an arrow to see A, the grievous sacred moment that impels the person in relationship with God to fast. And maybe or maybe not, something will change in the situation. So, This grievous sacred moment, that's what happens for Moses. Now, we take that moment and we remember it. And on on our sheet, I've got other examples of fasting in the Old Testament. But let's look at the scripture that we will hear on Ash Wednesday. If you can go farther back in your Old Testament, come to Joel 2, short book, Oh, and, and while you're getting there, today is not only my, my Jean's mother's birthday, my mother-in-law's birthday, but also Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And in the middle of 1863, middle of the war, we have he, he, a declaration, a proclamation. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our heart that all these blessings... (laughs) were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. 
And so he declares a day of fasting and prayer and humiliation in 1863, similar to Moses. Oh, one thing. It always bo- did it bother you when Moses threw down the tablets? This always bothered me. And one of the commentators, I, well, in fact, it's my Jewish, the Jewish, the, uh, the Jewish Tanakh. The, it's not in Jewish, but it's not in Hebrew. But their note says, smashing them is not simple anger, but a legal ceremony to confirm breach of a treaty. They'd already broken the covenant. You like that? <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Let, they do that in a divorce. We'll do that at a wedding, too. Yes, yes. yes but it, it breaks the bond. Ah. Thank you, Cynthia. I did just... <laughs> Thank you. But can I also say, yeah, that yeah. notice on this plate, Yeah. look at the evil on either side. Yes, the demons are laughing, aren't they? Yeah, good. Thank you for pointing that out. Thank you. It is creepy. And, and of course, that's what we're talking about here, is, you know, the, the world, the presence of God, and those elemental spiritual <laughs> forces that are out there. Yeah. Go to Joel 2. And we're going to read what we would hear in a liturgy on Ash Wednesday, Joel 2, 1 to 2, and what does it say on there? 9 to 20? Oh, I can't remember. 12 to 19. <laughs> Thank you. Um, would someone be willing to read Joel? Sandra's willing to read. Thank you. Joel 2, 1 to 2, and we'll skip the middle. Joel is late in the time of the people of God, one of the last prophets. Um, and he is calling them back from having turned away from the Lord. Go ahead, Sam. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. And then at 12, 12. even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity. And leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep in the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Thank you. 
Any comments? Any thoughts on Joel's call to the people? If you're used to, do we have somebody? Okay. If you're used to the liturgy, you probably heard, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and abounding in steadfast love. Straight out of Joel. Straight out of that liturgy, the Jews use um, Joel two fifteen through 27, and we didn't read all of that, on the Sabbath before the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a time of repentance. Joel calling us. So, what what hits you when you hear this? What hits you when you hear? Oh, Nigel, yeah, go. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, that God is is always faithful to us, and and we're not. You know, that's. Um, but here it is, you know, it's a call, return, return to the Lord. And it gives reason because his love is, is abounding, steadfast. It's, you know, he won't let you, you will let him down over and over again. Uh, we had a, a pastor uh, before that used to use this image of, a, of, a, of a God reaching his hand down to give us something. We're like a snarling dog, just like snapping at him. And it, it's very graphic, but I mean, it is, we are not worthy but he is and yeah. you know he just says look come to me and and here you know at the end is how beautiful he relents and they're forgiven and it's beautiful it's a wonderful reminder it is it is anybody else last week and this was from alexander schmayman again in the in the box on the little box on page one Lent is not to force on us a few formal obligations, but to soften our hearts so that we may open to the realities of the spirit, to experience the hidden thirst and hunger for communion with God. Those who think of church services only in terms of obligations. And our, and our, our Catholic brothers and sisters use that term, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to them, but I want us to hear we are talking about invitation, and I think my good Catholic friends know it as an invitation also. Those who think of church services only in terms of obligations, who always inquire about the required minimums, how often do we have to go to church, how often do we have to pray, can never understand the true nature of worship, true nature of worship, which is to take us into a different world, that of God's presence. And that's, that's what we hear here. This is a, an incredible invitation. I, I hope that's what you hear. If we think about fasting, and interrupt me at any point, if we think about fasting, there are different ways to fast. I think a lot of us think in terms of, you know, are you going to give up? What are you going to give up for Lent? If grandchildren would ask me that. And for years, I would always give up something. And one year, when one of them asked, I said, you know what? This year, I'm not giving something up. Because I feel like it's become meritorious for me. Like I'm kind of checking a box for God to make sure. And so I said, I'm not doing that, but I'm adding some things. Some of those things we, we look at, you know, more time in meditation, more time in prayer. Some of the things like we'll probably look at in the red letter challenge. So, so uh, to give up something for Lent is a form of fasting. 
Scott McKnight, who talks about this grievous sacred moment, says he'd call that an abstinence, maybe refraining from something smaller. A classic, well, we heard Moses, 40 days without bread and water. Um, I, you know, we, we can say, oh, come on, do they really mean that? Or we could say, well, maybe God, maybe God gave him the ability to do that, and he does it twice in a row. But that's a, cl- a pretty classical, complete fast. No bread and water, nothing to eat for, let's say, a day. Um, at least in the earlier church and, and probably today, a fast like um, Muslims from, you know, have a breakfast or something the night before and then fast until sundown. That would be a typical Jewish or Christian fast in these early centuries to fast from tonight's dinner until tomorrow night's dinner. But there's also, and, and we've got it there in, in the little box on Old Testament fasts, a fast of refraining from the very pleasurable, the luxury items, the wine and the good foods that you can get, Does, you know, not a steak. I, my, my dad would always go to a steakhouse on Friday in Lent because he was a Lutheran and he didn't have to give up meat, you know, but, <laughs> you know, a little bit of little bit of chip on the shoulder about that, I guess. But um, <laughs> there were probably more steaks, too, to choose from on that night because we lived in Chicago where you had a lot of Irish Catholics and Polish Catholics going to the restaurants. Um, but, but when we think about a fast, there are different ways to approach it. And again, I really liked what I heard from Scott McKnight, and that was, it isn't A plus B equals C. It's there's a grievous sacred moment. And for us, maybe it's for you and me, maybe it's something in your own life. Maybe it is the sorrow over a relationship or someone you know, something going on in their life. Maybe it is pure human condition, sin. Maybe it is the state of a nation, like Abraham Lincoln called us to. But a grievous sacred moment that has the natural outcome being God's people fast and pray. I, we've got about two minutes. When we were in high school, we went to Lutheran High School, Luther High School South, and there was a chapel. Okay? And so there was the opportunity to go by yourself. And it looked like a hospital chapel, one of those little ones, you know, a couple rows of benches. And one year, I mean, I was on the, the cheerleading squad, and I won't say her name because we're online. But there was one person on the cheerleading squad who I really did not like, and it probably pushed towards despising, okay? Um, she, yeah, her, her, her situation, the way she acted towards us, it was just, oh! And I was always so mad at her, I decided, I'm going to start praying for her. Okay, so I started going to, and we would, we would go together to this chapel in the morning to pray before school, and so I began to pray for her. And you know what happened? I don't know if she changed, but I changed. I began to see in all the ways she acted with the guys and with the girls and uh, all the things that used to irritate me, I now began to see as need in her life. And my own response was out of prayer, not fasting, was that I changed and I could have a good relationship with her 
in those next years on that cheerleading squad. And I think, I think that's what Scott McKnight is calling us to. And, and probably what, what Joel absolutely is calling us to. He's hitting the people with this judgment that's going to come from God. And God is saying, you have turned away from me. Just like Moses throwing those, the breach of contract down. And our response is to fall down and fast and pray. So I want to offer that as an invitation to us as a community. Because these rituals, and we'll talk about some of them next week when we talk about the big three at the end. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. These rituals we go through, or the imposition of ashes, shape us. They, they don't only tell the rest of the world who we are. They do mark us, but they shape us individually and as a community. Anybody have one last thing you want to say? And then we will close with a classic. Anybody? So, um, Let's go to this Lenten prayer. This is from the 4th century. Someone called Saint Ephraim. That's about all I know about him. But this is the prayer that's come down from him. So if you would pray this with me. And it really is a good checklist for considering. On our handout, I've got another invitation to, to read through Psalm 51 this week and be reading it and considering what needs to change in your life, in my life. And Uh, Ephraim, and that's why I put it on the handout, gives us a good checklist. So pray this with me. O Lord and master of my life, keep from me the spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power and idle chatter. Instead, grant to me, your servant, the spirit of wholeness of being, humble-mindedness, patience, and love. O Lord and King, grant me the grace to be aware of my sins and not to judge my brother and sister. For you are blessed now and forever. Amen. Again, we are invited into the season of Lent in two weeks. Next week, the last three days of Lent. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.